Welcome one, welcome all to the third episode of One Thing Led to Another. My guest this week is British writer Mike Cobley, who is the author of two series. Uh, His first series is the Shadow King's Dark Fantasy Trilogy, and his current series is the Humanity's Fire sequence, featuring the novels Seeds of Earth and the Orphan Worlds. Uh, The conversation with Mike was incredibly insightful for someone like myself who is an aspiring writer because he touches on a lot of important points when it comes to the constant self-improvement that it is when you're a writer or being able to take feedback and criticism and let that be encouragement for your next project rather than discouragement from continuing on. A quick reminder that you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Feel free to reach out to us there if there's anybody you would like to hear on the show, offer up some ideas for, say, questions or topics to bring up while I'm interviewing the writers and authors, or, you know, criticize what we've been doing. Either way, we want to hear about it. Um, Also, I would be eternally grateful if you were to navigate out to my personal site at noafinko.net. There you can find some other things I've been working on, in addition to some more information about this podcast, and a contact form if you want to reach me through those means. Plus, you can always email us at onethingledtoanotherpodcast at gmail.com. Um, Next week, you can expect an episode coming out around Monday or Tuesday. It's going to be an interview with science fiction writer Ian Tregillis, so that should be an exciting episode for you all to listen to. I'm hoping to keep to this weekly cadence, but we'll see as my life uh, gets a little bit crazy here as I'm nearing my own wedding and school once more. So things are getting a bit hectic, but I'm going to do my best to keep up with it. Um, thank you all to those who have listened, to who have shared, who have already contacted me about authors they'd like to see in the future. Um, any sort of interaction is greatly valued by myself, so thank you so much for that. And without further ado, this is the third episode of One Thing Led to Another with science fiction fantasy writer Mike Cobley. Thank you so much for listening, and please enjoy. Okay, sounds good. So thank you again so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. So I think a good place to start would be just for you to give us a little bit of background on you and your writing career and your career as a storyteller. Right, so um, I don't know if I tell you more than you really want to know, but um, uh, I was born in 1959, so I'm not a bit of a Croker at least at the, at the moment. So, um, yeah, I, I started writing Realist was in the early eighties. I got my first short stories out in the around nineteen eighty six. Um, my first novel came out in two thousand, so that wasn't hardly a uh, what you call an overnight success. Um, I've had uh, three fancy novels out. I've had um, uh, one, two, three, four, well, including the book that's coming out soon. That'll be five space opera novels, and I've had a a collection of short stories which go from about 1986 up to about five years or so ago, something like that. Um, um, I I enjoy writing most of the time, but but all the time it's com- is a compulsion. <laughs> so true. So when it comes to the two series you've published, your fantasy and then your science fiction one. 
how do you go from having a spur of the moment idea to now then having a multi-book series? How how do you take that? What are the first steps after you have that really solid premise that you think will turn into a novel? And then what are the first steps you take for it to become then a novel? Um, um, I think the the idea for the Shadow Kings books and um. Oh, we, we sort of, uh, two months of a, a, a point in my life where I was where I was basically unhappy all the time, and um, and uh, sort of writing was almost my therapy. And I had this idea of 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 a kind of a fantasy world where where essentially the bad guys, the Dark Lord, actually won, and uh, you know they, they killed all the noble elves, they destroyed the the the, the nice um um. um Sort of uh, environmentally uh, sustainable magic, and uh, and and basically sent his um, his uh, cohorts of of barbarians to rule the roost. Um, but then, of course, I mean, it being the start of the novel, the the, the Dark Lord actually screws up really big time and uh, ends up shuffling his 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 uh, his self into five different pieces. And they the five the five bits of this Dark Lord are the Shadow Kings, you see. So I think that that's the idea that came to me, and it was it was quite it was a, I, I sort of a, a, it didn't take long before I started writing the book, but it took a while. It took a, um, some new writing and um, some and getting myself out an agent to get to the stage where I had something to, to submit. Interesting. Yeah, it does. And then when it came to humanities, the humanities fire series, where did where did that inspiration come from? And you know, to go from to go from sort of a dark fantasy to that, it, it, I mean, the premise itself just immediately gives you this idea that it's going to be quite a daunting undertaking when it came to humanity's fire. Well, I mean, when I started writing short stories, I was basically writing science fiction short stories. Although mm-hmm. the, some of the some of the short stories were also fantasy as well. I was quite heavily influenced by. Uh, sort of Ellison and uh, and uh, you know people like Rob Holstock in the in my in my early writing. So I, I didn't really distinguish between you know writing SF and fantasy. I just wanted to do it all and you know try out different things as well. Um, when I when I when I finished the 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 the, the Shadow Kings books, um, had a sort of a sort of a, well the ending of it was. When the third book finally came out, it was um, uh, things went so. Um, well, the, my original editor sort of left after the first book came out, and then my my second editor, um, Darren Nash, um, was um, still in charge of uh, uh, some of the fantasy in SF. Simon Schuster in the UK, this was, and um, and it kind of uh, I think Simon Schuster at one point decided to just. Um, so it closed down their science fiction and fantasy imprint, and and they published the third book. Um, Shadow Mask came out as um, kind of an ordinary pocket book, the pocket book imprint, and um, and they just didn't seem interested in anything else from me. So that's why I went off to figure about what I wanted to do, and um, and suddenly and decided I was going to switch to doing space opera. Mm-hmm. It seems it seems just felt quite natural to me because I was always I always I, I, I read. Omnivorously, anyway. So. so then, when it comes to writing these very, very 
big stories with big settings and especially when it comes to a space opera where there's you know there's so much that you can possibly do with it the plots become so intertwined how do you not get overwhelmed when tackling a story like that oh god the the, the honest answer is that you do get overwhelmed and uh and uh, at times you have to sort of um start uh, like uh, like the duck the duck uh, swims along serenely on top of the water, but underneath he's paddling like mad. You know that, that's <laughs> kind of how that's kind of how sometimes the, the writing process works. Um, I'm a I'm I'm a, I'm a sort of a a, a, a broad scale planner. I like to have a plan about what Red Story is doing in sort of general dramatic terms of what the main story points are going to be and and uh, and and what the what the ending is going to be as well. I really need to know. What the ending's going to be, so for society, I've got the whole sort of big tent sort of pegged down in a way. Um, but I mean, I, I don't plan out everything so that I leave enough great areas for me to to get my teeth into when I actually come to write them. So, so that's 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 the way sort of broadly the sort of the um, the the, uh, the creative enjoyment it comes from from doing that. Um, dealing with them um, with. With the, the 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 detail of a very large story over several books is um, generally yeah sometimes you find yourself doing things that things that happen in the stories in the particular thread seem to take longer than they should and you have to either you have to decide whether certain sections of that storyline are going to get rejigged to come later than other bits. So it feels as if the whole thing is progressing at roughly the same sort of time, unless you want to have it in a different time for artistic reasons. Then, then you would you would do you would um, arrange things differently. But um, it's 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 like choreography. It's like it's like you've got all these these characters and they're, they're doing their little their little story dance all the way down, and you have to sort of arrange them and make sure that they're they're dancing properly at the particular points, you know. <laughs> So now that you've authored two series um, in what someone called different genres, but genres often I find kind of pigeonhole people. What would you say that there's some uh, some similarities between the plots between these two series? I think Shadow Kings was a bit more straightforward than the Humanities Fire trilogy. Uh, hmm. Shadow Kings, I, I structured it. Uh, I thought I was being clever. Uh, I structured it so that the first two books were basically one complete story, and uh, the third book would be like a kind of a you know a sort of a, um took place three hundred years later. So everything in the first two books was the background for the third book, and that was my idea. But um, but readers didn't seem to care for that too much. <laughs> I think I would plan it out rather differently now if I was doing it. You know, um, so yeah, I mean that was that was the sort of the broad structure I had for those three books. Which didn't apply for the, the space opera books at all, which were there was like a, which was like a um, a gigantic um, um, you know sort of multiple waves of uh, of breakers sort of crashing onto the shore of the or the readers' minds one after the other. You know, my my sort of an idea for the three humanities fire books was that um, the first one would take place on mainly around um, uh, the colony world of Darien. There's sort of a few sort of dots of um, dots of action happening around it. Then the second book would take have would have a, a sort of a larger scope, 
and then the third brick would have an even bigger scope and and would, would be encompass um, you know a quarter of the galaxy and and a big chunk of hyperspace and uh, you know time space and everything else you know that, that was I think I I think I broadly succeeded uh, with those three bricks. So then let's transition the conversation to character. At what point after you've solidified a premise does character development come into play and how do you handle character development so not only does it assist in the story itself but also leaves the reader with this idea of someone that you know this, these characters that they enjoy and remember uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I think early on in my, my career I was much more of a uh, much more of a kind of a I knew what kind of kind of story I wanted to tell. And uh, and I selected the characters that would that would make the story work, um, so, which is kind of sort of a, a kind of a mechanistic way of looking at it. I think, but definitely, um, you know, I, but with my limited skills from like ten, fifteen years ago, that was that was fine, you know. But um, as I sort of a, sort of broaden my grasp and understanding, it, it tends to it tends to realise that you've got to have that um, that. Uh, Really effective story does go out of, out of characters that are that are compelling. Oh, not necessarily good or bad. Um, and, you know, a story has to. I mean, we've been just been watching, uh, rewatching the uh, uh, the Deadwood TV series, and uh, Ian McShane's Ian McShane's um, characterization of Alf Rangen was definitely compelling. Rangen's a nasty character. He seems like, but he's 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 not. Holy bad, and he's, he's you know he's, he's really bad in some ways, but he's compelling. I mean, he's on the screen; you can't help but watch him, you know. And um, that, that, that that's the, the that's the kind of characters I've, I've I've been trying to sort of move more and more towards that that, that characters that that have um um uh, that's a, a spark of of something that um. That, that snags the attention and, and, and makes you makes you want to find out more. Whereas most of my earlier characters were, were well, they kind of some of them. I mean, I think towards the end of the the, the Shadow Kings books, my my characters were were um, began began to sound a bit like each other. You know what I mean? So I mean, I mean that that's that's my feeling of uh, of them. Um, <laughs> Yes, I mean, I've been doing this, this this writing gig for a good 20, 30 years. I'm still learning, you know? Very, very good. So then if we look at, you know, your short stories, how do you go about developing those characters in a short amount of time? Yes, um... It's, um... I can think of yeah, like a friend of mine, um... Uh, Bill King, who has who's written an awful lot of them, um, has written a lot of books for Dean's Workshop, for the the, the fantasy and science fiction Warhammer stories that them um, games that they have. But um, Bill's written a lot of of his own stuff and, and own short stories and, Bill, and 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 novels in his own right. And he's early on when we got to know each other, he said that um, that uh, that uh, that short story should encompass the most important moment in that character's life. And it should sort of imply everything that's gone before and imply everything that comes after. And uh, I thought, yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's a pretty good, good uh, way of putting it. I, I feel like in some, 
there are different ways of writing short stories, and short stories can be as as um, ephemeral as a, as, as a vignette or or a two hundred and fifty word drabble, or it can be um, a, a, a kind of a, a, a perfect self-contained jewel of a story that that that, that rings in your mind years and years after you read it. Like I mean, I remember the first time I read, um, uh, yeah. It, New World to Tell by, by Bill Gibson. This is literally, you know, a good few decades ago now. And I still remember it. It's still all the scenes and the, 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 the characters in it still, still uh, sort of uh, resonate with me. So, I mean, I'm, 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 I think it's trying to find a character who's reached a certain point in their lives where, um, where they are the center of, uh, of, of, uh, of, uh, a knot of, Drama and, and and urgency that that uh, either only they can unravel or they'll be witness to someone unraveling it for them, perhaps something like that. So then, transitioning back to your two book series, um, did you know that you were going to have each be a series, or was it more so the case that you wrote the first one and then you know the 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 success warranted you to be able to write more afterwards, or how do you go about planning a, a storyline so that each book can stand on its own, but it also contributes to an overarching plot? I think that uh, I had roughly planned out the the Shadow Kings books. Um, about the time that I finished the, the first one and got it to an agent and and um yeah, he said he needed um you know, an, an actual you know, full proper outline of the of the entire series, the entire trilogy before he could take it to um John Gerald at Earthlight part of Simon Schuster at the time. And so yeah, I so by, I was guided by my by my agents in in, in, in these regards. Um, so I put, I, put, I put together a, it wasn't an outline for all three books, and it got sold on that basis. It was a three book deal. The same with the with the Humanities Fire books is that, um, <coughs> is that um, yeah, we came up with the, the, the basic ideas and worked at them and worked at the outline and went over the outline several several times and had um, sort of various inputs from a couple of other people that we know before I came to our final version of the of the um of the 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 three humanity fires humanity fire books. I think I had a like first four four or five chapters of done as well before we took that to um uh, Darren Nash who was the orbit at that time. And uh and uh, quite luckily he said yes. <laughs> so that that was how that worked out. And then the subsequent books for the the other the the other two books from um, from Orbit have been um, sort of single, sort of book by book contracts. They've been sort of standalone, um, sort of single stories on their own, ancestral machines, and the new book, uh, Splinter Sons. So that's the way that's worked. So, one of the biggest problems that science fiction and fantasy writers encounter is they get kind of into a rabbit hole of world building and when they start to write the story they're almost doing a show and tell of the world that they've created rather than doing a story how do you avoid doing that because it is really tantalizing just to world build um i i've, I've never actually 
encountered that problem. Um, I mean, someone once said that um, the sign of, of the good use of of of, uh, of world building is is all the stuff that you don't put on the page, or you know, it doesn't end up in 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 the draft. But you can you can back you can backdrop backdrop as much as you like and do as fabulous background as you like. But you've had to keep in mind that um, that uh, that um, you know, too much description has 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 a has a, has a payoff uh, has a has um oh, what I'm to say here yeah yeah it's like too much of description and 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 um exposition slows the pace and that's something I think I've always been um I've always been a bit uh, scared of that's that's definitely I'll be quite honest I'm scared of losing the, the um the uh, the reader's attention. So I mean, I try to sort of um, get my my you know background and description as as uh, as distilled as possible, and make, and make it as evocative evocative as possible. And I want to make it as, as personal as possible as well. I mean, I I I I, I don't want to write books that that that, that have no flavour and uh, and no colour of their own. I want I wanted to, to evoke things that that have come out of my mind, and so that uh, so it's not a sort of bland, transparent background that's like that could uh, feel generic in it in any way. You know, I want to I want to you know put forward a sort of a, uh, an, an intense vision of my own, but at the same time, not um, uh, keeping the keeping the reader from enjoying. The, the the forward pace of the narrative. So then, when it came to uh, to writing these books, was it how did you handle feedback from, say, editors or other people that read it, and 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 how how did you go about you know making the changes associated with that feedback, and then how did you come to a decision when maybe you didn't make a change based on feedback? Oh right, right. I mean, um. <coughs> Um, um, like, let me, before, before I talk about that one, let me tell you what happened in Ancestor Machine, which I wrote like two or three years ago. I wrote the first quarter or a third of it, and then realized, um, to my extreme horror, that the middle third of the book was not going to work. Uh, it was just like, I said, oh my god, this, this, that isn't going to work there, that isn't going to work there, that needs to be over there, and I had thought, so I had to get in touch with my 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 agent who told me told my publisher that um run this a little problem that had to replot the last two chapters I've been writing and that I might be a little longer in that. So they were really understanding about it, and the book was um was was, was well the story came out a lot better for that. Um, so it's it's hel- it's, it's always a helpful helpful when uh, when uh, publishers are, are you know, I think most publishers are understanding that that the the organic writing of a book sometimes I think that's mad, you know. As for um, uh, doing some editorial feedback and revisions and that kind of thing, um, generally speaking, uh, I find myself I mean I find myself agreeing with probably between about about three quarters of um, of what my editors have to say, and um, and. The, the the final twenty five percent um it's a mixture of 
oh, I can, I can, if I can change, I can reword that and we'll write, we'll write that way and then these type of things. No, I know what I'm going to write. In my being, I know what I'm going to write. So I'll hold on to 10%. <laughs> so then thinking about ending a story or ending a series, um, how do you, do you plan the ending from the start or do you let the ending kind of show itself throughout the writing process? Uh, usually I have to have an ending. Uh, I, I, I have to have, so I have to have, when I'm writing something, I have to have a kind of a, a sort of a platonic, if you like, a platonic ideal of the story as a, as a, as a sort of a, a, a mind view I'm transferring into words on the page. And, you know, I don't that way, work out that way when I get to it, but at least I've got to have an idea that, um, you know, the beginning, middle, and end, and at the end, sort of, you know, everything ties together. Um, Writing the, the, the latest bit, Splinter Sons, um, I, I thought sure I knew what the ending was going to be. Um, um, until I got, <laughs> until I got three quarters of the way through, and then, uh, and realized, uh, what, uh, what, what the, uh, the sort of, um, um, coda ending would have to be. So my book has, has basically a sort of a big, Sandbound dramatic um, ending, and it has a, a sort of a, a dying note ending in the coda in the in the in the epilogue as well. So, so you know, it's, it's wonderful when unplanned things um, arise out of what you're writing, and that arise sometimes just out of your back brain. It just jumps out of the back brain. But there we are. You didn't see that coming, did you? So, when it comes to stories that you write and stories that you consume, are there any common characteristics between those stories? Like, you mentioned you're enjoying Deadwood currently, especially Ian McShane's character. Are, is there any commonalities between that series and what you've written and what you often consume in terms of story? I think that, um, more recently, um, I think that, um, I, I think I've said before, my, my, my understanding of character has definitely deepened in the last few years, and uh, my need to get some good characters, some I you know, get hold of a get hold of a character in a way that I can I can I can handle when I'm writing about them. Uh, I think I did that okay with the with the, um, the most recent book, uh, Splintered Sons. I think my I think that's probably the, the best use of character I've done uh, so far. Um, but um, there's the things I want to do in the, in, in in future future works that um, I want them to. Be, I mean, I, I look at um, the, the way the the, the, the writers wrote the Al Swearingen character in Deadwood, <coughs> and, and I think I might have got, if I can get even halfway close to something as good as that, then I'll you know I'll really I will have done something. Um, it's um, but I get I get inspiration from. From a lot of different different uh, areas, I and mean, uh, some of the the characters in the Abercrombie's fantasy books are mm -hmm. astoundingly good. I mean, um, yeah, I just I'm just uh, sort of having rereading um, the Blade itself at the moment, just to sort of get a, a sort of a, a, a grip on Logan Nine Fingers again, because that's just. <laughs> He's definitely not your usual Conan the Barbarian type of fantasy character at all, you know? 
Exactly, yeah, that's a good series to point to, and I'm sure the reread of the series itself would shed so much more light after going through the first time, especially with Nine Fingers. Exactly, yeah. Uh, do you find yourself reading, rereading your own work at any time? Rereading my own work? Yeah, rereading your own work. Um... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's, no one, no one's ever asked me that. Actually, um, it's kind of um, it's something I do with great reluctance for some reason. Um, but you know, if I ever get round to to to, <coughs> to writing some fantasy again, I think I will sit sit down and reread the the old Shadow Things books. Um, sometimes it's, it's it's kind of um, I feel like I know more about writing now, and I, I'm reluctant to look back at my old stuff and see where, you know, see how, how, how growing you know, all the joins are and where I've, where I've sketched this bit to that bit, you know. Um, but at the same time, I have read, I, now and then I go back and read some of my short stories and, and I think, yeah, that was okay, that was pretty well done. I didn't even, I wasn't sometimes, some of it I was even, in, I in, even intended to do, you know. <coughs> maybe I will, maybe I won't. So then, looking towards the future, um, what sort of stories do you see yourself writing in the future? Yes, uh, something something with compelling characters, something with where the, you know the characters characterization really bites, but which uh, uh, is an, an an exploration of the minutia of. Um, I can't put this without sounding offensive. Um, without the without the, the minutia of kind of a soap opera, soapy kind of kind of um, ordinary domestic life, I, I, I some some people like to read that and write that kind of thing, which which doubles as as science fiction and or fantasy. But uh, I'm not one of them. I I I, I you know I, I, everyone has their own, has their own domestic workaday existence. You know, when I sit down to, to write a, write, to, to read a, an SF or a fantasy novel, I'm really not inclined to sit down and read about someone's own, so, you know, a character's rocket domestic existence, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So then, kind of transitioning back to plot lines itself, how much thought do you give to theme or a general like moral or morale or lesson that you want readers to come from to take away from your books um do you mean what sort of message or theme i'm trying to get across yeah yeah do you go into it knowing like after the readers read this i want them to take away this lesson oh right, right. um um I think that um, usually, I mean, didn't really do much of that with with Shadow Kings because it was kind of um, I was sort of following sort of well worn uh, sort of fantasy tropes, but trying to sort of give it my own particularly dark twist. Um, when it came to sort of later works, works, um, I was thinking along, I was definitely thinking along the lines of um, sort of broad themes. But I mean, I mean. Even if you think consciously about what sort of theme uh, you're you're trying to express, um, when you're talking out or planning out a novel, it doesn't always it's not always going to work out that way when you come to writing it because because uh, your subconscious that is the, you know, the lens that everything flows through and 
subconscious will sometimes work in work in you know details aspects and and uh, and um, undertones that you 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 won't you won't on. I find to a lot of friends of mine who've had things um, drawn to their attention about their own. They just look at a dog and go, "Really? Oh my God, you're right." So I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's a couple of couple of moments in the um, in uh, in ancestral machines where I was doing a, I was doing um, kind of a deliberate um, uh, sort of drawing a deliberate analogy, if you like, towards um, um, what you might call um, the <laughs> uh, Keynesian factory conditions. Right? There's one set. There's one scene in ancestral machines where where there's a whole bunch of um, alien beings are being sort of basically turned into sort of cyber necessized drones working at a, farm, a factory production line and they, they are attached to overhead, overhead catenaries that move them around the factory to wherever they, they, they to maximize their, their, their actual um, working output which is kind of kind of weird so but I, I thought I'm going to try this and see if anyone notices it and when they review it, no one noticed. <laughs> At least no one, men- no one mentioned it, you know. But, um, it's all right. And also, in addition, the Ancestral Machines itself is basically um, a gigantic, it's set in a gigantic artificial um, solar system with about 300 different planets. And I, and I really intended the whole thing to be a kind of a sort of a, uh, an to our world, but no one seemed to notice that or, or, or pick it up or, 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 or say, Hey, maybe this is a bit like this. Are you trying to say this or that or the other? No one seems to seem to seem to seem to notice. But that, you know, that's okay. Because I mean, I mean, a writer cannot control the way that a reader reads the book. So I mean, it's uh, it's um, I'm not going to sit there and sit down and write a thesis because I mean, who's going to read that? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll bring me to my final question and the the main takeaway from this show, and that is. What is your advice to someone who wants to become a better storyteller? And that's whether it's, you know, writing a novel or at the dinner table. Uh-huh. Um, beginnings are really important. Um, because, I mean, a friend of mine once said that, uh, that um, the first page of anything, whether it's a short story or, or, a, or a novel, is, is when you've got the... You've got the, the, the the reader or the listener, you know, at their most vulnerable. That's the point where you you can you can you can sneak into their head and uh, and, uh, and 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 really take off the the, uh, um, the the sort of the the seed or the kernel of the story that you want to to um, tell to them. Um, the other thing about 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 that is is um, you can you can. You can incorporate as much message as or or a theme as you like into a story that you want to tell to someone, but you have to remember that if you don't actually tell them a, a, an enjoyable story going from the beginning to the end, then any effort you put into to to, to themes or message or, or or anything like that is wasted. If you can't get into to 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 enjoy the story from start to the finish, then it doesn't matter what kind of theme or message you're trying to get across because essentially it's, 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 it's just not succeeded. So, 
um, so paying attention to to the kind of things that people like and uh, you know, readers, readers' conventions and assumptions is is quite valuable. Not just to tell them a good story, but to actually to sort of um, uh, subvert that story storytelling a little bit. Give it a little twist and there's little and uh, and little turns that you're not expecting. Damon Knight once said that that that, that storytelling is like a string of players like, like on or like like deep on a string. And I think that that's a, a hugely important thing to to keep in mind when you try to tell a story to, for, for, for people to, to enjoy. That was episode three of One Thing Led to Another with science fiction fantasy writer Mike Cobley. Thanks again so much to Mike for joining us on the show. We greatly appreciated his insight. Look forward to next week where we interview science fiction fantasy writer Ian Tregillis. Uh, he also offers some great insight into the writing process, into overcoming the anxieties with presenting your work, and other things of that sort. I promise I will be featuring writers that don't fall under the science fiction fantasy genre. I promise I'll be doing that. It's just the way that it's just the way the dice fell at that point. Um, Again, look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as on my site at noafinko.net. Thanks again so much for listening. Please like and share and do whatever other function you can do to get the word out on this show. Uh, The more listeners we have, the better. So, again, thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you next week. And remember that storytelling is best done together. Take care. (laughs) 